because you look at the body and you go, oh my goodness, that's, that's not what I thought. That's not how it looks in the book. That's not how it is. So welcome to this episode of Finding Your Range with me, Jeannie Debon, a movement therapist who specializes in hypermobility, EDS, and chronic pain. And I'm delighted to be joined by our guest today, Julian Baker. And I'm just going to read you Julian's bio. So welcome, Julian. Thank you. Julian is the founder of Functional Anatomy and Functional Fascia. He has thousands of hours of dissection experience as well as 30 years as a Bowen therapist and is the principal instructor of the College of Bowen Studies. His focus has always been a whole body approach with movement and manual therapists in mind. He is an expert member of the FHT, as well as a member of the Anatomical Society, Institute of Anatomical Sciences and the Fascia Research Society. His aim is to improve understanding of the body in a practical way that will transfer directly to your practice. So welcome again, Julian. I hope that covered everything. Um, yeah, I mean, it covered uh, it covered it covered the bits about this <laughs> the palate section. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that floats around, which is I know, I know. So, I wanted to add to that actually that I that my background, what what got me started, um, was in, in as far as the bone was concerned, was was way back as you said, thirty years ago, um, yes. and, and and so my principal driving has been around what we're doing with our hands or our movement. So you know, that's the the, the big the big the biggie. Yes. And um, some people might not know what Bowen is, actually. I know just very briefly what I know. It's a therapy. What, what is that? For? Soft tissue. So it's a very gentle soft tissue. You make movements, you put breaks in and you kind of I, I always say it's the it's the marriage guidance counselor between the autonomic nervous system and the central nervous system. It kind of puts the two together and gets mm -hmm. them to have a conversation with each other. Oh, fantastic. That's, that's my elevator pitch. <laughs> So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing all your little, um, your way of seeing things. Our audience is going to love this. Um, so Julian, as you might have guessed from his introduction, we're going to be focusing on fascia today and how that might be influencing our movement and our pain. Um, and we're obviously our hypermobility as well. So um, Julian, you touched a little bit on, you know, your, your past, but I recently obviously attended, you've just done an amazing online six-day dissection course for therapists and um, teachers, um, which was amazing. And then a few years ago, I actually came to the lab with you and we spent five days together um, dissecting, which was, you know, a life-changing experience for me. Um, so how did you end up doing what you're doing, your passion for what you do, which clearly shines through in everything you do? Thank you. Um, well, I mean, I, the thing for me was that I was putting my hands on people and feeling changes and, and uh, I was trying to learn my anatomy and I was teaching, um, teaching teachers and I was teaching students. And uh, so I was getting anatomy books out. You know, I mean, I, I think many of you will be familiar with uh, the, the tomes that we have. This is Netta and, and uh, you know, the, the, the sort of the, the way that we learn anatomy. And, you yes. know, there's the break. So I was doing all that sort of stuff. Hang on, my book's falling apart now. Um, <laughs> you used it too much, Julian. It's all falling apart. <laughs> it's a very beaten book. It's actually not mine, but um, 
Um, so I was learning this stuff and it didn't just, it didn't really translate um, into what I was feeling underneath my hands. And with the, with the advent of things like Wikipedia, and I started well before all that, things like Wikipedia, even then, even then trying to investigate the processes and the functions and the outcomes, it just didn't seem to make a lot of sense. And, um, and I would listen to the stories that were being told by therapists and movement therapists. I was, um, I was having um, Pilates sessions in 94 in London, uh, at Alan Herman studio mm -hmm. and uh, um, with Rachel Swindle. And so, you know, and then later on, so I was a big Pilates person and it just didn't seem to before it went, you know, um, yeah. and, uh, and, um, it, nothing seemed to add up. The anatomy that we were studying just didn't, it wasn't joined up. Um, and so um, I was sort of trying to find a way of, of, of working things out. And I followed Tom Myers for a little while on the anatomy trains. And I was with him in New York, um, uh, one of his workshops in a, a, um, a studio called The Breathing Project with a chap called Leslie Kamenoff. And Leslie said to me, you know, listening to me, he said, you need to meet Gil Headley. So I investigated, um, met Gil, got his DVDs over, sent over, um, and it kind of changed my life. That was it. It was like, yes, that's the kind of thing I'm after. And um, so I went to San Francisco. I studied with Gil, did his six days, and then did some more, brought him over to the UK yeah. and started to get his courses going um, in the UK and, um, and ran that for a little while and sort of got him to come and do my labs. Um, and then sort of uh, over the years, again, you know, Gil, Gil's amazing. I mean, everything I've learned is, is, is his model from, from that. But it wasn't really functional enough for me. And so that's how I've ended up being a lot more. I've gone down the scientific route and I'm, I sort of straddle the line between um, sort of complementary and movement medicine and science. And um, I'm frustrated by them both if, if, in, in, in equal measure um, because, you know, over here we, we sort of tell these stories. Um, that, that are nice in our stories, but then we apply a truth to them. You know, we say these things are real and, and we, we, we try and grip, grip a reality to them and they're not real. You know, I don't have a problem with somebody telling a story. And then over here we have um, a health system where we have no touch or movement based um, provision within our healthcare systems. And that's anywhere else in the world. You know, you don't go and get touched in, the, in, in our healthcare system, even yeah. though we know it works, even though we know it's cheap and it's free and it's non-addictive and, and so on and so forth. And there's no side effects. Um, so, and the reason being is because we teach anatomy badly and our anatomy isn't joined up. Uh, and, and that's really what my, my goal is these days yeah. is to sort of get these two um, polarized versions of health and, and, and find out where the, where the Venn meets, you know, where that's sort of somewhere in the middle, there's some common ground, uh, yeah. sort of banging heads together. But it's frustrating. It is frustrating that, um, you know, we tell all these stories about energy fields and releasing tissues and it's, you know, it just doesn't have a basis in biological reality or mm -hmm. fact. Um, and I don't have a problem with it. It's just when you, when you go, no, no, this is, this is what I'm doing. Yes. Well, it's, it's, yeah yeah so you get to see the reality don't you of what actually goes on in your yeah. um, mm. your dissection um a couple of weeks ago which i was watching online um you know the the biggest thing for me and, and i was explaining to to some of my um my hypermobile clients just that one thing you did where you had the cadaver lying on on the front and you were moving the shot the arm up and down and it was just amazing that you could see the movement coming all the way through to the opposite hip, through the connective tissue. And, and if you see that, it all starts to make sense because we're not individual muscles, we're not individual parts. 
You change right. one thing and it's going to have an effect. could be anywhere in the body, right? But it's going to have an yeah. effect. It's going to be everywhere in the body. Everywhere. I mean, the, 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 principle, the principle of... Of, of, of me moving my finger requires me to, you know, create a, an electrical charge in action, action potential, a change in the, the membrane, and it can get really complicated. But ultimately, we have to take oxygen to that bit, and we have to, you know, we have to take oxygenated blood to that bit, and we have to bring oxygenated blood from that bit. And, yeah. that, and, and you know, whilst we still have feet and toes and, and everything else, we have a connection to it um, yeah. through the spinal cord, through the skin, and through everything else. And so... Um, I don't have a problem with learning the regions of anatomy, the names of the muscles and the nerves and so forth. But what we have, what we tend not to do um, is we tend not to put it together and try and understand what those relationships are. Um, I, I, where I get the chance, I, I offer medical students a chance to come in and have a chat. Um, I had two um, where I am in, in the States this week. The, the place that's hosting me, the, some medical students were there. And I said, let's have half an hour. Um, and I <laughs> we absolutely blew them away in half an hour. And I am not me, but just showing them the connective yeah. nature of the, the cadaver and what was in there is stuff they'd never seen before. Yeah. Um, you know, the example I always use is your head weighs 12, 14 pounds. Um, so six, seven kilos. Now, if you, if you hold six, seven kilos in a bowling ball and you move it around in your arms, you're going to feel that change, that change in load. Now, we just don't feel that because we are balanced in our neck structures. But you know, if you stand on a pair of skis and go downhill and move your head across, you're going to turn direction or sit on the horse or sit on the bike or yeah. any one yeah. of these things. So we understand the fact that if we move 12 or 14 pounds across, we're going to load our knee differently. Well, that then says to us, well, our knee or our feet or our hip um, is dependent on you know the fact that our head is in the right position forwards backwards to one side so we should probably be thinking about that when we get to things like hip replacements and knee replacements but we don't so you know it's not just the fact that we don't put it all back together but then we deny those relationships and that's you know that's this this yeah. this version over here so the way that we teach anatomy um is is incomplete at best and worst at wrong uh, um, and wrong sorry incomplete as well early in the morning incomplete at best and and wrong at worst and we don't seem to do anything about it you know we have academics yeah. and you show this to them they go, yeah you're probably right but we still teach our doctors a version of anatomy which is incomplete so um, oh, and, and I, again i have a problem with that but when we start to teach our movement therapists and our manual therapists the same version of our friend netta here um, yeah. then nobody's putting the back together again and that infuriates me and you know what this is so relevant for our listeners because we have a connective tissue disorder which is obviously everywhere in the body and yet the problem and i'm sure our listeners will agree that we have is that we're treated in a single muscle or a single system way. So nobody, despite it being a connective tissue disorder, looks at the whole body. So they go, oh, you've got a problem with your knee or you've got a problem with your shoulder or you've got a lung problem. But we're not looking at the whole. And I think if, if the doctors could start looking at us differently, it would help us manage our conditions so much better. But it doesn't well, happen. The doctors can't, not because they don't want to, but simply because they're not... Uh, they're not they're not equipped with a way of thinking and and, yeah. and it starts with anatomy that allows that inclusivity to take place and there's also a um i'll, I'll give an example my my daughter's ex-boyfriend um is a is a doctor and sort of 
wannabe surgeon um you know i've been putting my hands on people for 25 years and i i get all the all the people that are that have that haven't worked you know i mean we don't see most people let's face it most people are fine most people yeah. have a back pain or neck pain they go away they'll take paracetamol or aspirin have a rest for a couple of days and they're fine so we as therapists only see the ones that aren't fine we see the the, the, the tail offs and so i i've seen a lot of chronic pain over the years a lot of stuff going on um and so this ex-boyfriend of my my daughter's was um uh, working in a unit in, in Bristol and um, he was saying a lot of people are in there six or eight weeks and we can't move them out. You get 25 people. And I said, well, I reckon based on my experience of these types of people that we could probably get half a dozen of those out within the space of three. And he said, well, that statistically would be amazing. But this is the, and this is the rub here, uh, Jeannie, that he said, what makes you think without a medical degree that you could do what the best doctors in the world can't? It's like, because I don't think like they do. I come at yeah. it from a different perspective. I did come at yeah. it from an angle. And we have to include things like behavior. You know, if, if somebody yeah. spent their life in a, in a space of fear or depression or anxiety, well, that's training their tissues in order to be in that space. It's, there's yeah. a huge range of behavior and learned behaviors um, that define who we are physically, functionally, emotionally, yeah. mentally. And we tend not to deal with that within our medical model so rightly or wrongly i mean i'm not i'm not let's face it with, without modern medicine most of you know women would be dying in childbirth and we wouldn't we, we get yeah. Yeah, tb yeah. all kinds of stuff so you know i don't I, I just think we need to we need to change it it's not that i that i'm anti-medicine or anti anything else i'm just saying yeah. educationally wise we're not we're not doing the best job that we could do yeah no, I agree. Absolutely. And of course, a lot of our listeners, um, because we've lived with this condition with so many years without diagnosis, I mean, it took me um, 35 years to get my diagnosis, you know, and so a lot of people listening will have lived a lot of their life in fear, fear of movement, fear of pain, anxiety, stress, you know, we're told it's all in our head, we're told we're hypochondriacs. Um, and of course, you know, that starts to manifest itself in the tissue. And yeah. how they move and how so it's so related but um of course we're talking about this and and many people listening won't know what fascia is um so could you explain to us in in simple terms what what is fascia and why should we be interested in it um well um fascia is a connective tissue um and, and when i say fascias are a type of connective tissues because there isn't really a thing called fascia in much of the same way that you know Ellis Danlos has dozens of different categories and subcategories yeah. and things yeah. you can have that would be Ellis Danlos and not everybody is the same um, yeah. fascia is the same that there is all kinds of tissues that we could refer to as fascia so I'm always a bit concerned when people fixate on one problem and the, and the fascia world has done exactly that uh, the, the the same thing that the anatomists have done they've drilled down into one it's all fascia this and fascia that and it's just a nonsense you know because you know what is fascia fascia is a connective tissue um it's a scaffold for the body it holds everything in place um it has lots of different um iterations if you like you can have sheet strong sheet like fascias which are a combination of lots of different directions of tissues you can have very thin wispy fascias um that are that are very wet that go in between the muscle fibrils 
Um, you can have fascias that are very strong but thin that wrap around the bone. We could call those periosteum. Um, okay. But um, they are, they all have one thing in common. They're a connective tissue, like skin, like, uh, like blood, like bone. Um, and the one thing they all have in common is that they are predominantly collagen based and that they're also inert so in in other words they're not cellular in their makeup you know the cells have produced them and now this this connective tissue this fascia is what's left behind so a bone for example is produced by a specific cell um, called a called an osteoblast um, and um, a collagen fiber is produced by a specific cell called a fibroblast generally speaking Um, and these cell these cells produce this this material and yeah. cells code for proteins and collagen is a protein um, and it's the most abundant protein in the body okay. um, there's oh and dozens of, of different types of collagen but the, the the thing for us in in humans is is mainly type one collagens which accounts for you know 90 odd percent of, of our of our collagen so it's a connective tissue that's interesting it's been poorly described um, and it basically is the thing that joins us up you know, if you look at a muscle, we talk about an origin of insertion. Well, yeah, I mean, it, you know, the muscle fiber has to start at one place and finish at one place, but then it has to have a relationship with something. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, if I say genie, genie isn't just somebody that appeared out of nowhere. Genie is a result of genie's mum and dad having an early night. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there is a dependent relationship upon yeah. Um, on, upon the existence of this individual and the yeah. same thing goes for the muscle the muscle is encased it's an organ by itself and it's encased with a connective tissue that then connects up either to bone or to other muscles well actually yeah. both always um, yeah. okay. so, um, and, so- and it allows that it's a little bit like you know yogurt pots on a, on a piece of string it connects yeah. up those yeah. bits and pieces in the body yeah and so EDS is a is a defect in the collagen How... so it's some, some some eds's are not all of them well we know that the we know the gene for all but one of the eds um types yeah. yeah the only one we don't know the gene for is hypermobile eds which is probably the most common one so we That's do the thing. Know, yeah which is which is what i have and probably in most of yeah. our have. um yeah but what and again, um, you know, it's just just a thought. What would the impact of that have on the fascia, on the connective tissue, if there's a de- I hate the word defect, but if there was a, a change in our makeup of our collagen, does that make us make it less elastic? What, what do you think? I don't know. It, it, okay, so <clears throat> let me give an example of um, something completely different, which may or may not help. Um, yeah. Something called chronic obstructive pulmonary disease (COPD). It's um, oh, yes. very very big deal um, yeah. in America. So if you imagine a lung, okay, a lung you breathe in, um, and um, the reason that you breathe in is your diaphragm relaxes and the air rushes in, and then you breathe out. So as you as you breathe out or as you breathe in, you have an elastic recoil. You know, it's like a yes. like Donald Trump and his harmonium hands. You know, it's, it's, it's like you have an elastic recoil. Imagine yeah. a squeeze box. Yeah. So as you squeeze yeah. in and squeeze out, you have a lot of elastic fibers in your lungs. Now, in COPD, what happens is that inflammation breaks that down um, and you end up with less elastic recoil. So what's having to happen in COPD is that you're having to use all these muscles around your neck and shoulders, these what we call accessory muscles, to create that space. And it's really, really tiring. Um, So 
the thing about connective tissues, particularly collagen, is that they're a spiral-bound structure. They, 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 they. The 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 pre-collagen thing is a is a spiral-bound, um, and then it joins up with two other collagen fibrils to create a triple helix. Now that's incredibly strong, way stronger than muscle. Um, you know, muscle just falls apart the moment you pull mm -hmm. it. Yeah. However, collagen fibers are pound for pound stronger than uh, steel rope. And depending on the defect, and there's lots of different defects, defects mm -hmm. you get a breakdown in the coding, the genetic coding, all these codons yeah. that can be, you know, miles long. Um, yeah. You know, you can have a stop, for example, um, and you might not have, you might have two and a half collagen fibrils, you know, two and a half pre-collagenous fibrils instead of three. So what that's going to do is that's going to make it a little bit weaker. Uh, potentially it's going to be a bit longer. It doesn't have the recoil necessarily. Um, mm -hmm. And it just allows for more movement to be taking place within those connective tissues. The other thing we could be having is the fact that is, is that um, there isn't a reflex response. This is the other issue is that um, we may not have a, um, the, the stretch response. It may be that there is a, resistance to or, or, or lack of pain in response to that stretch which is yeah. which is quite common in hypermobility yes mm. that was one of my questions um, so yeah so so the thing about fascia is that the, the thing to remember also is that the cell produces it not just the the, the fibril but it also produces its own fluid so our tissues are bathed in fluid we are a wet watery system the whole every single system of the body is designed to move fluid get rid of fluid you know replace fluid clean fluid um yep. it's it's the fluid that defines us we are water-based systems um, and without the fluid we, we simply fall apart um and um, and dry up and so the, the movement of 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 signals around the body is dependent on on good fluid mechanism good as anna barazza goes on about about hydraulic amplifiers you know so uh, which is um serge krakowetsky's work so um you know that this pressure and this movement of fluid around the place yeah yeah so and um movement obviously helps move that fluid around so to keep the fascia Movement is all that moves the fluid moves the fluid around. That's all. You know, yeah. the, the heart moves the blood around. That's yeah. it. Okay. All the other fluids require um, pressure in our system. We are a closed pressurized system, and it requires pressure on that system to move those fluids around. Okay. So someone who's sedentary for a long time, um, you know, a lot of our listeners may have been bed bound or um, wheelchair users. Um, obviously they're going to feel that, that stiffness maybe because things are drying up, not hydrated anymore. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, what happens in terms of, um, I've, I've got a great picture of a, of a chap. If you look him up, he's called um, uh, Amar Bharati, I think his name is. I'm not sure how you spell that, but look yeah. him up. And he, he's a guy that's in India and he's a sadhu and he's had his arm up in the air for about 35 oh, yes. years. Yeah, yeah, it's a great picture. Yeah, um, yeah, and the reason it's such a great picture, I could probably actually find it and uh, and um, uh, and and share it with you. See if I can find this. Um, and uh, and there we go. So I'll, I'll see if I can share it, if I can screen share with you. Um, can we can we screen share a second? Share, yeah, you should be able to share now. Yeah, share screen. Okay, so here he is. Here. This is a great um, picture, actually. If we get to see it. <clears throat> What have we got? Have we got? Hang on. There he is. Can you see that now? Yeah, yeah, got it. Yeah. 
the reason that this is such a great picture is because this guy's had his arm up in the air for, you know, 35 years and he couldn't put that arm down now if he wanted to. You know, all these tissues um, that are around the elbow and around the shoulder and around his wrist, these are his fingernails up at the top there, if you can see that. Yeah. They're stuck. And so the connective tissue cells have gone to the area of loading or inflammation. Inflammation will do it as well. And they produce loads more collagen fibers. And they said, well, you need to do this for some reason. It's part of your survival mechanism. So yeah. we're going to allow you to do this. And we're going to give you the tools and the mechanism to, um, to do that. So he will now be stuck there. Um, and we think of this as being, you know, crazy or remarkable. But actually, if you look at the rest of the picture, it's very informative. Because if you look at his, his hips and his knees and his ankles, he's a 70-year-old-plus man who's able to sit in this position for extended periods of time. So yeah. why is that? Because he's always done it, you know? So he's continued to keep this fluid movement going through yeah. these joints, but he stopped the fluid movement through other joints. And so it's, it's quite a, it's quite a, a cool picture that shows yeah. you what happens if you yeah. stop That's moving, and what happens if you keep moving. Yeah. That demonstrates it perfectly. That really does. Thank you. Cool. Brilliant. Yeah. So you keep moving and you can keep doing what you want to do. If you stop moving, things are going to start seizing up. So, yeah, that's really good. Maybe. Now, maybe. maybe. Some people can go away with all kinds of stuff, you know. Yeah. Now, talking of, and you mentioned it, stretching. Okay. Mm. So, hypermobile people love to stretch. Although I, do, I, t I don't really encourage, I don't encourage my clients to do it because I, you know, I don't, for many reasons, especially for hypermobility. But the reason they tell me they like to do it is because it feels good. You know, they can mm -hmm. keep going, they keep going. They, just, they feel they need to because they feel tight and then they want to stretch and stretch and stretch. Um, but then they don't feel so good the next day. So what, I know you have thoughts on stretching. So so what are your what are your thoughts on stretching in general? My, my thoughts aren't original, but the, the you know, the... In, in terms of stretching, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a mystical thing, really. Um, we're the only animal that stretches. Now, uh, you'll hear people go, ah, I can't stretch. Well, actually, they don't. Um, they, they do something called pandiculation. So they pandiculate. They move um, in an extended range, and then they stop doing it. But they don't need it for their function. They don't need to stretch. You know, if a cat's going to jump up on a counter and nick your butter, he's just going to just sit there, wait until you're gone and jump up on the counter um, with one leap. So yes. it doesn't, you know, and you know he's going to do it because he's looking at it. He's not, you know, warming up and giving you, you know, cat pose down or what have you to get there. Yeah. So um, and we're mammals. You know, we, we formalise our stretching in a way and we somehow have got to the idea that to be bendy um, is healthier or better than to not be bendy. Um, you know, look at me, I can bend down and touch my toes. Oh, so what? You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's about function. Now, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. If you like stretching, you like, you know, like being bending, you like being, you know, going to yoga, that's fine. But there's a trade-off in function. Um, and our trade-off is always going to be, you know, if you want to do something, then you've got to pay some, you know, he who pays the piper calls the tune. So in function... Our trade-off is our balance, and that's what, you know, nature loves balance. We love a, we, we hate a vacuum. Nature yeah. hates a force a vacuum, and it will always try and restore balance. That's what homeostasis is. Um, and um, so you, you have, you know, mobility, the ability to move around and pick a 
can of soup up out of the bottom of the cupboard and we have strength and the ability to you know lift your shopping basket up or your child up or what have you and there's always mm -hmm. a trailer between the two and when wow. you you go into the idea of right here i'm going to load one end so i'm going to be more mobile uh you're a ballet dancer or a pole dancer or what have you or some for whatever reason then yeah. the chances are you trade off your stability your strength um and we quite often will see people with um, hypermobility issues that have joint instabilities um you know dancers later on in life will, will yeah. often have problems in relation to you know joint stuff so that's the trade-off on the other hand if you're a you know a front row rugby player you, you don't need to put your your leg up behind your ear you know you need to be strong and you yeah. need to be able to take a tackle and get into the scrum and so on and so forth so again you trade off and you have uh, an issue in relation to your mobility and the tendency yeah. again is there to carry more weight and to load those those areas and those joints and that they carry their own uh, difficulties so there's always a trade-off between the two and it's 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 about making sure you get that balance yeah. so stretching in and of itself you know has has no no benefit as such um you know if i go and uh, i do a you know warrior pose well uh, it just makes me better at doing warrior pose um it doesn't help me play the trumpet so so the things that we do are function specific. If I want to get better at playing the trumpet, I practice, I do it over and over again. If I want to re reduce injury, um, I get better at my technique. And this is what we've shown in sports injury for years and years that, you know, stretching doesn't reduce injury, it increases levels of injury. Mm -hmm. um, stretching before performance increases levels of injury because you're bringing blood into an area that if you then overextend or hyperextend the bleed is increased the, the the injury is increased and the recovery time is longer so we want movement which is not necessarily um end of range movement yeah that's yeah. the first thing so being bendy is no more benefit than not being bendy it depends on your function secondly what what, what a stretch is when we do a stretch we go here's my stretch what i'm feeling is i'm feeling a, a signal a signal back it's that string on the telephone wire being pulled and the yeah. brain is going actually can you not go any further than that because i don't think i think it could snap <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah. that's called a golgi tendon reflex it's saying okay come back here now and we like that in our in our pendiculation we wake up in the morning oh, you know we move do that movement around and that feels good because it moves it puts pressure into the joints we do all that kind of stuff and to stretch something at the end of range also feels good but if we keep doing that what we do is like anything else if if if, if i get full if i feel feel full at dinner and i go right i'm gonna stop eating now i can push myself a little bit more and then that feeling of being full goes away and I keep eating and suddenly I'm on, you know, I'm 45 stone and I'm eating 30,000 calories a day. And the same thing goes with stretching. If for some reason I start to stretch that and stretch that, I, more flexibility isn't longer muscles, you know, because otherwise I'd have to have longer bones, which would make me taller, mm. right? So physiologically, yeah. I don't have longer muscles. We're not stretching our muscles. Mm. What I'm doing is I'm reducing the signal that's going to the brain that says stop wow okay, okay. Yeah. so it's yeah the stretch the stretch isn't saying the stretch isn't saying you're now uh your muscles are longer because don't forget that the muscles are all encased in the skin and the bone and the superficial and the nerves and the blood vessels that are all part of that little bit of muscle that we have so you don't increase muscle length you don't stretch something it's not literally stretching something it's mm -hmm. 
it's moving something to its end of range until your brain says stop. And if you're if you continue to do that, much like our variety, all right, your body will go fair enough, and it will just reduce the experience that you have of your stretch yeah. until you can yeah. keep going, keep going, keep going. So my experience with high mobility people is they keep looking for that stretch, they keep looking yeah. for that feeling. Yeah. But the irony of it is, is that the more you look for it, the less you experience it. It's like I don't know, heroin, probably. You know, it's for, yeah, <laughs> you're yeah. always chasing, yeah. you're always chasing that feeling. Which is, yeah, it's interesting because that's exactly what I do with my clients is the first thing we do is we reduce their range of movement because they can just do it. Because like you say, yeah. they've done it so much. They've done it their whole life. They don't know any different. Um, if we reduce the range of movement and actually make them feel some stability in the joint, all of a sudden their pain starts to get better and they start to move yeah. This is Professor Tim Watson talked years ago. He said about about um, a chap that um, from he's retired now, but Electro Tim on on Twitter, brilliant man. And um, he talked about in, as a physio, would, would they'd get patients with um, knee issues, um, and they'd load them, they'd load them, and they'd load them, and load them, lots of knee pain. And and one of two things would happen: either the knee pain would go away, or it would break, and then they'd fix it. <laughs> so that was that was it. It was like. And we tend not to think about loading in relation to mobility, but actually sometimes pain at an end of range isn't a signal of 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 being stiff. It's actually a signal of being weak. You know, yeah, that an area needs loading, needs loading into it because loading is what drives connective tissue laydown. What's called yeah. mechano mechanical uh, transduction, meaning that the signals are the, the signals are sent to the cells to function. So loading something regularly produces more connective tissue fibers um, and drives the cells, uh, like inflammation is another one. So loading something, making it work harder, yes. for some people, is gonna be way more beneficial, even though it may at first appear painful, it may be more beneficial than trying to stretch something or mobilize something, you know? Yeah. So it, it, it's an approach that seems counterintuitive, but actually when you look at the biology of it, is 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 really really interesting yeah no and i found that's what works with the hypermobility population definitely is loading it um so when we talk about fascia and i think it was robert schleip who um who talks about this about fascia being our biggest sensory organ um in the body how would that then be contributing to our pain so is it the fascia that feels pain or is it the muscles that feel pain how is it our yeah. It's a good question. Um, I mean, um, again, bearing in mind that there is no one thing called fascia. So yes. um, when we, the, the model that I w was using for quite some time, which was which was Gill's model, was um, to um, to take away skin and then take away the fat layer, the the adipose layer that we call superficial fascia, and then look at deep fascia. And then yeah. over the last year, I've changed that and realised that actually this is unhelpful because it makes us think of these separated layers in much the same way that Netta over here does. Yeah. And actually then not separated, that they are continuous. So when you pick up the skin here, the fibers that attach to the underside of the skin are fibers that then also are the housing for the adipose cells, the, the fat cells. Um, and that's collagen, that's fascia. Yeah? yeah. And those fibers then go down, they become the, deep fibers that we call the aponeurosis, the sheet-like strong fibers that we have that surround our muscles, yeah. are the 
the same structure as the fibers they blend into it it's a little bit like you know i'm uh, 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 calling the branches of a tree or the leaves of a tree something different taking all the leaves off and taking all the branches off and, and the pine cones off and going these are all separate structures well they're not they are continuous with those fibers yeah. um, and so going down into the uh, deep fascia um, these fibers continue and then they, they get smaller and they wrap around the bone and they continue all the way through the body and the individual organs whether they be muscles or lungs are housed within those connective tissues so yeah. our, our experience of the world is felt through our, our tissues um, and muscles aren't designed to be sensory they aren't designed to be you know we talk about muscle memory muscles you know if you made it as a person muscles are pretty stupid <clears throat> you know <coughs> excuse me muscles are pretty stupid what they're doing is they're creating power <clears throat> they're, they're a powerhouse and an organ in themselves to give us movement <clears throat> and load and, and push us forward um so you dig a needle around in a muscle well it doesn't really need to feel anything because you're not touching a muscle when you do any body work you're not touching muscle you're touching skin and superficial fascia um and we relate <coughs> excuse me we relate to the world through that. If we give somebody a hug, we don't hug them with our muscles or our bones. We hug them through our sensory experience of what's out there. And yeah. so that's what we're talking about, that fascia has way more nerve endings um, than muscle, way more sensory nerve endings than muscle. Now, yeah. quite the type of sensory nerve endings that they have remains to be seen. It's a, it's a subject for some discussion and finding them in one place doesn't mean to say they're always present in another place. And that's okay. the, the danger that we have of assuming that you know that bit of connective tissue has the same properties as that bit of connective tissue um so um, you know but pain is a really important thing pain is an output always pain is not an input you know so we experience pain as a result of a signal coming from our brain not going to our brain um and and this is the starting point with with that i work with with all clients that you know if you can if you can turn it on and turn it up um, as to, you know, in the words of David Butler, then you can turn it down and turn it off. Um, it, it's, it's ridiculous to suggest that pain can't change. So pain is an output, not an input. It's responding to the information that's put into us. Um, yes. And it's a totally subjective experience. You know, I, I cannot experience or measure your pain. Um, I can only relate to my pain. Um, you know, Wittgenstein talks about having a beetle in a box. And the only thing is, is your beetle in your box and only you will ever see that beetle. So your beetle and my beetle might be completely different. Um, you know, and yours might be pink and fluffy and, you know, big eyes. And mine might be a fire breathing 12 horned monster. Um, and the same yeah. thing goes with pain. It's a, it's a perfectly subjective experience. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And it may, may not be that the fascia is related to it. That's not the issue in terms of therapy. It's, it's, it's what's your experience of it? What's yeah. your feeling about the world um, as you live in it? And, um, you know, how can, what, how can we help you to be the best version of yourself um, and, you know, maybe get rid of the pain, maybe live with the pain, maybe change the pain, maybe reconfigure it in your own mind is sometimes the, the, the way that somebody can help with it, you know? So you were mentioning about, you know, when you hug someone, you're not hugging their muscles, you're, you're hugging, you know, with your whole sensory body. Um, can we talk about the psoas muscle? So, yes, the psoas. Yeah. People always yeah. want to talk about well, having it released or releasing it. Can you actually touch your psoas muscle? 
Uh, no. <clears throat> um, yes. Two things. Firstly, before we get to SOAS, let's talk about releasing. Yeah. What does it mean? This is what I mean about when I started about before the language that we use within um, within movements. Um, it's just it, it's it's not helpful because you kind of know what you mean, but you know we, we kind of oh it releases well releasing fascia or releasing scar tissue. What what what's going on? Why are we you know what does it mean? Muscle knots is a question you had in there. Yes. What are muscle knots? Well, then that you muscle can't knot. It's just ridiculous. You can't put a knot in a muscle. You know, the, the term knot in a muscle is is, is, is silly. Um, and, and those tissues that we experience that in aren't in the muscle. They're in these superficial tissues. You know, and if you get manual therapists, if you look at the, I think, the second day last week of where well, I had some people in the in the in the class and they were palpating and, and rubbing. They're like, OK, maybe the thing I think I'm feeling isn't the thing I am, think I am feeling. Yes. And, a lot of the time is people are learning their manual therapy referring to books um, like Netta and, and studying muscle and studying joint and studying those functions and you say to the vast majority of manual therapists so tell me what's in this layer and they have no idea because nobody's telling them about it well that's the, the layer you're touching so the idea that you can put your hands on an abdomen and drop down something like 18 inches to a muscle which is pretty dull to be honest with you it's a pretty boring muscle um it doesn't really do very much it sits around it's mainly there um to drive lymph up from the cisterna chile up into the thoracic duct is my is my belief um it's very lean um it doesn't really have much in the way of relationships in the middle of it but actually you're putting your hands through a whole load of viscera of sphincters yeah. of nerve endings of skin superficial fascia and you're ignoring what's right in your face which is an incredibly interesting junction so this is this is the thing is that if you look at your abdomen you know here okay let's give you a bit of abdomen here and um you look at your abdomen here all right so that's coming down this rectus abdominis you've got external oblique now external oblique is going to blend across into these muscles that come from the shoulder the serratus and serratus as well and latissimus dorsi they're all going to blend into that um and also um external oblique is going to blend into this rectus abdominis right up here right on your rib cage okay now underneath this you've also got internal oblique which is going a different direction yeah so it's going you've got this one going up here and then this one going across here so you've now got a crossover, which is going to create some degree of friction. And in the middle, you've got these fibers going this way. And then on a deeper layer, you've got all these fibers going this way. So you've got a whole bunch of stuff that's happening in this abdomen. On this line down here is where all of those layers come together. Yeah, that's going to involve rotation, extension, flexion, tipping your yeah. hip through your pubis, round into your lower back. Yeah. That's right underneath your hands. So why would you want to press onto that bit of your tissue? It's a little bit like, you know, you're driving to see Stonehenge and going past 15, 5,000 year old bits of stone and monolith that are way more interesting. You know, <laughs> it's like, well, hang on a minute. You, 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 you've just driven past all that to yeah. get to that thing you can't even go and touch. Wow. Do you see what I mean? It's yeah, yeah. It's, it's bonkers, um, and 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 you're pressing through deeply through an abdomen, potentially damaging somebody. There's a the ureter in there. There's a, a genitofemoral nerve in there. 
stop it. You know, I always say to say to somebody, well, you can release my psoas if I can punch you repeatedly in the face with a brick. You know, how, how is that even re remotely possible? And the defense is, oh, well, I'm doing something. I don't have a problem that you're doing something. I have a problem with the fact that you are giving me a fact, which isn't a fact, and ignoring what the evidence suggests might be um, in front of you. Um, and this is the problem that we have. Therapist, manual therapist over here talking unscientific nonsense to big up their, uh, their therapy and, and, and presenting it as fact um, with very little understanding of the biology or the cells or anything underneath them has, and being ridiculed by um, an academic um, anatomical scientific community who by themselves are, are, are up their own backsides. Um, and as a result, we have this polarized view that they think everybody's talking nonsense yeah. and they think we're involved in big pharma. So no, you can't release a muscle, you can't release fascia, you can't release a size. Because what are those, what does that mean? But what you can do is you can touch something. <laughs> something you well, feel better and we move around a bit better. But it's fashion, like Bowen, which I've had, um, very light touch is enough to do something, right? You don't have to yeah. be digging in and sticking your, you know, um, a lot of people with hypermobility like deep tissue massage, I guess, for the same reasons you were saying, you know, they feel something. But actually, yeah. that destabilizes the joints because you get in and you mess around and the next day they go, oh, I feel terrible. But yeah. actually some gentle, very gentle work. It's very powerful, isn't it? It is one of those things that I think, you know, I mean, I've been 30 years in the business and, and, and to, you know, 25, 30 years ago, I'd given you a very different answer that I would now, you know, what are you, what, what are you doing? And, and I, I just don't know anymore. But what I do think we're doing is I think for, the, for a good therapist understands that the, the role of repair and healing and response is not in the hands of the therapist, but in the, in the body's responses. Yeah. And, and if you can trust in that body's response, because, you know, the, 45 minutes to an hour, tiny phrases throughout the rest of the week. It's inform, inform people's subconscious function, if you like, about the choices it makes. Yeah. yeah? Um, so I, I can't fix anybody's pain. What I can do is I can say to the nervous system, do you need this? Can I draw your attention, please, yeah. to, you know, the fact that there's a damp patch up in the corner of the ceiling? It's like, huh, I didn't notice that. And yeah. now the body's attention is drawn to it. Um, and it may or may not decide to do something about it. Yeah. But we're getting these signals constantly. We, we, our body and our brain is being bombarded with billions of signals on a daily basis. Um, and pain, as I said to you before, is an output. Now, we can, have, we can have damage without pain and we can have pain without damage. You know, you go out in the garden today and scratch yourself and you're bleeding and you don't even remember how you did it. But if I tried to recreate that with a, you know, a razor blade or a needle and you were conscious of it, <laughs> you'd be screwing yeah. the place down. Yeah. So... We can choose what sometimes the response that we have. We can ignore pain as it's coming in because it doesn't suit us. We we yeah. we, we have to run away from it, or we're yeah. we're busy, or the kids are playing yeah. up, or what have you, and we ignore our headache, or what have you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if I put my hands, if I put my hands on somebody's shoulder, their trapezius, you know, I say, okay, oh, just relax and relax and let, let that drop, and they change the impetus. They change the amount of signal and the amount of units the muscle being recruited from the brain if yeah. they change that huh, now the muscle is softer it's got you know less energy going through it they feel more relaxed 
is that releasing it? No, it, it's still there. It's still encased. It hasn't gone anywhere. Yeah, it's changed. It's changed. It's it's changed the way that it responds from subconscious to conscious. It's like taping, like rock taping or, or you know, the kinesio taping. Yeah. You're not changing anything. What you're doing is you're drawing attention to the position of your shoulder or your hand um, while yeah. you're doing something. And so yeah. it allows your body to what we call proprioception, to be aware of what your shoulder is doing and therefore change it. It's, a constant, it's like somebody constantly tapping you on the shoulder going, you know, your, your mother reminding you, don't forget to have some dinner. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And of course, proprioception is is something that we know that people with hypermobility lack. We lack that proprioceptive quality. So hands-on work, touching, sometimes that taping helps, you know, just to draw the attention to things that we're not aware of. I, th I think... I think um, I think I think I would I would take issue that that you may lack proprioception. I think there may be an issue in relation to sensory input <clears throat> that mm -hmm. there's an altered sensory input, um, yeah. which doesn't necessarily mean to say that it's a, it's reducing in proprioception. You know, somebody can be sitting in a chair and know they're sitting in a chair and their feet are on the floor, um, but they don't necessarily feel when they should stop. So there's a combination of things like, as we mentioned before, that Golgi tender reflex, that yes. restriction. Yes. But I, I'm not going to say that's necessarily proprioceptive because it may not be. We, mm. we, we're not really sure. sure. You know, it's, yeah. you know, um, and they and somebody could be really high functioning in lots of other ways. You know, I mean, you get you get somebody that's a, um, a contortionist in a circus um, or, or a performance and uh, and you watch them move, they are massively proprioceptive. They know every place that their body is at any given point in time because they couldn't do what they do otherwise. Yeah, like Cirque du Soleil, they do the most amazing things. Amazing things, you know, you, you, you're you balancing on two fingers your whole body. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's heightened proprioception to a, to a, to, yeah. to, you know, because you know where your legs are, your arms are in order for you to do that. You know, you didn't have proprioception, you just fall over. Yeah, no, that's very true. That's interesting. That's a different way of looking at it. So, yeah, thank you. Um, can we talk about, because obviously this podcast is all about movement and uncovering truths and um, um, core stability. Um, core stability training. I know, I know. I feel the same way, but I had to bring it up with you because I know that you have some, some views on it. Um, is there such a thing? Can you train your core? Let's ask that. Can you train your core? Uh, if you can find your core, um, then by all means, you know, take it out, put it on a leash, <laughs> take it to the park, throw a ball for it. Um, and I'm sure you and your core will be very happy. <laughs> but, you know, people will be shouting, it's saying, but I've been told my core is my pelvic floor, my transverse abdominus. They're all, that's what we're told, that we've got this core group of muscles that we need to train yeah uh well you can't um so transverse abdominus for example you don't know whether it's being contracted or not you can't feel your transverse abdominus you don't even know if you've got one or where those muscle fibers are going to be so the idea that you contract or train one group of muscles over and over something else um a suggests that that the muscles themselves are trainable in in isolation and uh, b that they are contributing something to something else uh, greater than something else which is which is 
you know, unlikely, um, and uh, and see that you know somehow um, that there is one group which can be defined as one thing rather than another. Yeah. So the whole thing is biologically implausible, um, potentially dangerous, and and by all means, you know, you want to have a prolapsed vagina when you give birth, then go go ahead and contract your abs as lot as much as possible. Yeah. Um, but oh, yeah, um, yeah. I think it's um, I think it's I think it's um, it's silly. It's mythical. Um, it's potentially dangerous. It's pointless. Um, and and it, and it it kind of perpetuates this idea of, of individual structures or individual muscles being functioning yeah. um, in isolation away from anything else. Well, it's just not the case. Um, it, and um, so um, so yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's not it's not helpful. I mean, there are some things. Yeah, okay, whatever. You turn a blind eye to. Do you want to get a six pack and do your sit ups or do then then fine. I don't have a problem with you having tone to your body, but tone doesn't come from uh, a specific group of muscles. And, and the potential is for you to then overwork those or or try and think that you're preventing injury. You know, contract your core in order to lift this up. Well, that's that. You know, again, all the evidence is telling us that that's going to do the opposite for us. Yeah. So the evidence doesn't support uh, the idea, if you like. Yeah. And, and, I, and I get where the ideas come from and I get where it's, you know, where we have within our society this yeah. obsession on that. But it's something that um, is just... And just look up them. Look up A.L. Edmonds, the, the myth oh, yeah, before. Absolutely. I just find uh, it so yeah. frustrating that it still persists. You know, physios still tell people you have to do core stability work and, and to pull in your tummy and to pull in your pelvic floor. And then they're in pain because obviously you're binding everything down with tension. Yeah, I don't understand yeah. why it's still persisting. I find it very frustrating. Oh, there's lots of things that persist. You know, the, 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 the idea of, you know, stretching for better performance still persists in, yeah. in tending to be in, our, in amateur sports and stuff like that. Um, but you know, this, this, there's still this myth that you have to, you know, have to stretch before you do your exercise or what have you. And, um, and it's, you know, or you have to contract your core. There's, there's, there's a lot of myths that have been put about by, um, primarily, um, a fitness industry, um, yeah. with rapidly trained people who are poorly trained over a very short period of time to generate large amounts of income for those people doing trainers and to to accommodate the, the explosion of, of gyms over the last you know 15 mm -hmm. to 20 years um, and and you know with all due respect with Pilates studio as well there's some there's some you know when when the whole body control thing hit the back end of you know the the 90s early 2000s it was awful you know I, I filled my clinic on on church halls for 15 mainly women who were going up, going on and being given Pilates exercises that were absolutely destroying them. And, you know, that whole core thing was part of it. I'm just going to agree with you that, yes, Pilates is uh, is very guilty of promoting all of that, unfortunately. And then, um, it, it, It's got better. It really has got better. And, and slowly you know, the... the but, um, there are some genius, I think there are some, some of the best movement of body workers on the planet are, are within the Pilates world. Oh, yeah, you, know, like, you know, people like James De Silva and yourself and, and uh, Anna Brett Segura and, and, you know, these are amazing trainers and teachers. Um, but unfortunately, you know, we've still got our, um, a, an element that, you know, has yet to catch up. Yeah, yeah. We keep working at it. We keep pushing ahead. Um, now, can I ask you something um, just to kind of make it make more sense to 
well, to me and hopefully to our listeners, um, at the EDS Society conference earlier this year, there was the first set of research ever into EDS and pain by Antonio Stecco and his team. Now, they discovered through their research on people with hypermobility EDS that um, we exhibit an increased deep fascia thickness that may impair gliding and contribute to pain. The stiffening of underlying muscle compared to the softening of deep fascia is not as pronounced in hypermobile EDS, which means it's difficult to palpate. So I know that's a bit of a mouthful, but does that make sense to you? And, and what does that actually mean? For, does it mean anything in terms of movement and pain for us? Um, so I, I haven't read the, the, the research. It's not published um, yet. They just published their abstract. It's coming out hopefully by the end of this year. Um, well, a good abstract should tell you, a good abstract should tell you everything. You shouldn't have to read a paper to, to understand it. It's a yeah. good abstract should tell you, you know, reasons methodologies and 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 findings um so um but i but i haven't read that i haven't seen it so it's hard for me to comment on that um people with hypermobility ex exhibit um increased deep fascia thickness deep thickness which would impair gliding, which makes so, sense deep, so, so hang on so he's talking about the deep fascia thickness um, yeah. and then the softening of the deep fascia um I, and it seems to me to be to to be a contradiction. If the well, deep fascia is thick, yes. then how can it be soft? I, I don't understand yeah. what um, that that's what I was. That's what confused me because it it seemed to contradict itself. But, um, so but here's here's, what, here's my here's my discovery, if you like, that when we yeah. go to areas where um, you've got to bear in mind, I'm dissecting um, very elderly people um, yes. who aren't yeah. necessarily mobile, um, yeah. but. That the tendency is where you have lots of thickened fascia, deep fascia, um, you'll tend to find there's it, 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 there are areas that need more stability. So around the legs, around the thighs, um, around the lower back, you know, these really strong areas of, of, of thickened fascia. Where you have areas of more mobility, you tend to have less fascia, and this, but you have the skin and the superficial fascia blending into um, the muscles. So you'll look at, say, um, the upper portion of a, um, a pectoralis or the upper portion of a deltoid. And the skin and the fibres that are attached to it go through into the muscle and allow that connected movement. When you get down to the hamstrings and your iliotibial band, you know, you create, there is no iliotibial band to make it. Um, and so, you know, those thickened fibres are suggesting because we're bipedal um that we have to have you know more stability and more strength around those joints and so that's really what what we're looking at from from my findings mm. if you like um as i said i can't i can't mm. comment on um on the the, the research but here's the thing if you thicken if you thicken one bit of your fascia fascia up your your tissue for whatever reason because perhaps you're not moving it perhaps it's scarred and you yeah. pin that down what you're going to do is you're going to create a change in the relationships of everything that's further away from it as well. If I, if I pin my shirt down here at you know, the bottom, I'm going to restrict my ability for my shoulder to move up in here, yes. you know, and I could work my shoulder all you like. So is it the thickening of the fascia here or is it the fact that it's scarred or thickened or loaded more here that restricts yes. my movement up in here? And I think that's more to the point. Yeah. Um, so, um, the fact that it's going to impair 
the freedom of movement in some way. I think that's the bit that is most interesting to us, I think. Um, like yeah, we've, we've, got a, we've got a, you know, we've got a history, you know, we, we think of whatever somebody's presenting to us. But my point is always when I'm teaching or, or whatever to say, look, there's a whole, there's a whole game that's gone on beforehand. There's a whole, you know, 30 years or however long of, of yeah. behaviours and, you know, just, just stuff like, you know, you cross, you cross your legs over one side to the other. One of those sides is probably going to be easier to do than the other. Well, yeah. that's because you've tended to do that more. Now, well, yeah. that's going to inform your behavior, your movement, your function. And we can have loads of things, how I pick my coffee cup up, which hand I use my phone to, to dial, you know, which yeah. side I sleep on. These are all um, contributing behaviors to our current, our current body. Um, yeah. And we can't take those into account. So somebody brings pain, that pain has now inserted itself into a history that is that our entire life. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, we don't know what what has happened up, up until that point. It's like, it's, I always say about taking x-rays, people come in with a bulging disc and, you know, well, so what? Um, most people with a back pain don't have a bulging disc and most people with a bulging disc don't have a back pain. Now, yeah. you chat to these, these doctors last week, they say, oh, well, so you get a bulging disc on your back. What are you going to do? Well, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this. And I said, my argument, my question to you is, you've got a picture of the bulging disc compared to what? Because you haven't got a picture of last year or the year before or 20 years ago or 30 years yeah. ago. We don't take the kids up at Christmas and go, you know, here's our Christmas picture, but also let's give you an X-ray of your spine. So we have no idea what's normal. We've taken a snapshot in time and we're yeah. making assumptions around that. Um, yeah. that, that yeah, really include point. our previous history. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Oh, thank you, Julian. That's, um, as always, lots of different views, which is um, it's going to be fascinating for our listeners, you know, to hear views that maybe they've not heard before. So I really, really appreciate it. Um, thank you. I want, I want, I want to just, I just want to make clear because people are quite agitated or upset when I'm, when I'm, when I'm, you know, casting doubt on on things that are in, that are, are their beliefs, and they they say, well, this is what I think, and I have no problem with what anybody. It's not what I'm here to do. I'm not no. here to say don't do this or don't do that. I'm saying I'm here to say what is what is the reality behind some of the things that we believe in, um, and um, you know, is it right to question and challenge those? when we're being presented with things as, as a fact, right. like the core, you know, there is yeah. no fact around the core. It, 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 it's not there, you know, yeah. and the same thing stretching. The evidence doesn't support the belief. Um, and I think that's, that's what I have to, and the evidence of, of the, the, the dissection work I do. So it's not about telling anybody they're right or they're wrong. Oh, I'm no. not anti-stretching. People go, oh, Julian doesn't like stretching or yoga or Pilates. Because no, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just, I'm not, don't, give, yeah. don't put words in my mouth. I'm, I'm saying, you know, it's just don't hang on to something, you know. Yeah. Um, that's really all I'm doing. So. No. no, absolutely. Um, and our audience are kind of, they like to question things because, you know, they get told lots of things by by the medical world that maybe they don't agree with and they don't believe to be true. And so it's sure. nice to hear someone who also, you know, doesn't accept and challenges things and questions things. So they'll very they'll be very welcoming to your views, I think. So um well, so you want to 
if you want to come along, uh, the the six day webinar that uh, you were talking about, Jeannie, that's still a six day dissection is still available at functionalanatomy.com. Um, and you can sign up for that. And that gives you all the webinars from this year. And, and some yeah. of it might be more complicated for people than others. But, um, you know, if you want to start to understand how what the body is and what fascia is and how it all hangs together, then um, the six day six day live stream dissection recordings are all yeah. still on the website. Yeah. And so there's some really interesting webinars on there, actually. You've done so many. Um, I think there's something for every topic. And there's people, just let the listeners know, there's things about TMJ and migraines and um, pelvic floor, I think, and the psoas. And, oh, there's a whole host of things I think you guys would be really interested in. Um, yeah, so I mean, this, this lockdown happened this year. It was like, well, what do we do? So I sort of, you know, got yeah. uh, got the camera and got the webinar software and thought, well, let's put some stuff out yeah. there. And we, you know, no, that's really, um, really good. So what's your website in case anyone wants? What's the actual address? Functionalanatomy.com. If you go there, it'll do. So yeah. if you want to read more about Julian and his work, his amazing work. And as I said at the beginning, I'm forever grateful to Julian Um and the work that he's done, because if it wasn't for Julian, I would never have been able to, to take part in a dissection and to actually see how the body really does come together. Like Julian said at the beginning with the book, that's what I was taught. You know, I studied an anatomy book to pass my training and I knew every muscle in the body and that was it. And then I go and work with Julian and it's like, wow, this is what's really going on. And so, you know, for, honestly, Julian, thank you so much because you changed your kind words. About really what I want to do is I don't, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not me. It's not my views, you know, you, you know, know. coming to anatomy lab and the, and the, the, the people yeah. that generally give their bodies yeah. for us to study, yeah. they are your teachers because you look at the body and you go, oh my goodness, that's, that's not what I thought. That's not yeah. how it looks in the book. That's not how it is. Yeah. Um, why haven't we been shown this? Yeah, absolutely. And there are religio-political reasons as to why this hasn't happened over the last 300 years. But now's the time to have that conversation. Absolutely. You know, we need an army of manual therapists and movement therapists uh, because we're running out of options for, surg for surgery. You know, we're running out of antibiotics. And in 10 years' time, basic levels of surgery aren't going to be able to be done because we won't have the antibiotics to treat people. And we need this army of people like yourself um, to be able to cope with that. We, we, we're not teaching them anatomy in a way that's joined up that's going to help them. So that's mm -hmm. my that's my plan is change the world. Oh, <laughs> Lie down for a while. Yes. Well, <laughs> keep doing what you're doing, Julian. Um, thanks, Jean. So thank you, Julian. And thank you, everyone who's been listening. Um, leave us some comments. Let us know what you think. And if you've got any questions, let me know and I'll pass them on to Julian. I'm sure he'll he'll be happy to answer anything. Um, so until next time um, on finding your range, keep moving. <laughs>